Welcome to the Small Town Comeback Podcast. I'm your host, Becca Summers. These stories feature builders, dreamers, and doers in Vernal, Utah. These folks are making a big impact in our small town. Today, I'm talking with Trisha Sorensen, founder of Market on Main, and Sylvia Wilkins, former economic development director and Rise and Thrive business pitch competition founder. These women really kick-started an entrepreneurial wave in our town. They have opened a lot of doors for other small businesses to succeed. I'm really excited for you to hear their story. Okay, so what do you guys love about living in a small town? Sylvia, you go first. Okay, I love that you don't just know, like, the person. You know, like, their relatives, their friends, you know their kids. Like, you're involved in more than one aspect. So it could be, like, your kid's teacher at school, but then you have another instance where you know them in other parts of the community. So it, it just makes like our whole community interconnected and you can have that in a small, small town. So that's what I love. I've heard that from people who've moved out of the town to say like they miss going to the grocery store and, and knowing people there or people saying hi to them on the street. So that makes sense that really like unified community of knowing your neighbors and knowing knowing your community. I love that. Yeah. And I think it gives you a heightened sense of security too. Like you can trust people and your kids get to do more because you know that they're, they're safe. So. Yeah. You've got each other's back for yeah. sure. How about you, Trisha? I mean, she stole my idea. <laughs> really? <laughs> no, the same thing. Um, I love the people in our small town and I love that you, like she said, you get to know people, you get to know them on more than just a surface level. So you go around town and you've, you've done things with them in different parts of the community and different aspects of the community. And I just love that. I love the people. Yeah. It, and you get to know them, like you said, so multifaceted. Mm-hmm. It's not just in this one area, but you see them sometimes several parts throughout the day and right. you realize how, yeah, that wide range of, of loving someone and getting to know them. Yep. So Trisha, you started out as a home baker, right? Yes. Tell me about that. Um, back in 2017, my husband and I took our kids over to France for a vacation and we tried macarons for the first time. And I thought this, this is easy. We could do this. I can make these at home. Cause I'm, I'm of the mind that like, if I see something I like, I can master it. Right. So, um, I started kind of doing it for fun, making macarons and it exploded from there. And just over between 2017 and now it's just kind of taken off and started as a home thing but then it just got big oh my gosh so why focus on just macarons because those are kind of tricky cookies right they are tricky and I liked that I was really the only person around doing it so that was kind of nice I mean there's lots of home bakers and lots of cake decorators and lots of cookie makers but there really wasn't anyone that was kind of focusing on macarons so it kind of made it a unique little um place for me to be you found a niche yep. and you filled it yep. and it exploded. Yeah. What um, What is it about macarons that are so tricky because they're like notoriously hard yeah. to get right? So there's like eight points in the process that you could fail miserably. <laughs> and some of those have nothing to do with you. So like even the weather, if it's humid outside, if it's raining, there's they just fail because they don't dry out. And so just mastering every step along the way to get the cookie, it's a process of time. It's a process of like knowledge and knowing what to look for. So it's not just one of those, let's just give the kids a recipe and they can figure out. Although sometimes they do surprise you. Like I have seen kids make macarons beautifully on the first time. So amazing. Yeah. <laughs> what, and yeah. you love to mix flavors, right? Mm-hmm. What are some of the flavor combos that you've come up with? Um, 
see here, one of the two that people love the most, it seems, are cinnamon roll. So it tastes like the middle of a cinnamon roll. And then the other one that we just created um, was marshmallow fluff and cookie butter, which was kind of an interesting combination, but quite delightful. So that sounds amazing. Yeah, that's Jimmy. How many, um, when you started selling your cookies, was it was it like a slow growth or you said it just um, kind of it was, it was a slow growth at first, but then it took off pretty quick. I would say within the first year, I was doing weddings during the summer. I was doing hundreds of cookies a week. I mean, it, it took off pretty quickly because, again, it's something that not everyone was offering, so it was unique. So I think that I had an advantage there. That makes sense. And that kind of leads to the next question of how many cookies a month were you producing? Oh, like- um, when I was doing it out of my home, I would say probably two or three hundred cookies a month like would be like an average like a safe average is what I was doing yeah wow that's a lot <laughs> yeah that's a lot because you also have a family at yes, home you yes. also yep. so you're balancing all of that in one space yep. so take me to the point where baking from home just wasn't working well like um tell me about that point that you're like okay I'm gonna make a change yeah so it kind of started exploding to the point where I was like, I, I think that if I push this, I could probably do really well. And so, I mean, even to the point where we had just moved to a new house and that new house had a double ovens. And so I was like, oh, I can make more. So like, just like the idea of like, how can I grow my business? I was not able to, like, I was having to turn down some custom orders. I was having to just kind of like, I was just stopped. Like I was I kind of hit like a ceiling of what I could do. And so then I started thinking, like, what are some other ways? I started looking around, like, okay, are there other kitchens I could use around town? Are there other things I could use where I can make more? How can I reach more people? And just start asking those questions. Those are really important questions to ask to kind of take you to the mm-hmm. next step. It seems like in businesses there's kind of like these steps or these next chapters of you've succeeded at one level. And like you said, you hit the ceiling. Mm-hmm. And then it was time for a growing point to get to the next level. And that was when you heard about the business pitch competition, right? Yes. Yeah. So um, a good friend of mine told me about it, actually, because I, I was we sat down with them. They were over for dinner one night and. It's like, you know, I'm thinking of like starting my own bakery or something. Like I'm just, I'm looking at different ideas. And he's like, you should do this business pitch competition. He kind of told me about it. And it was a week away. Like I didn't have a ton of time to prepare for it. Um, But again, like I actually have been preparing for it, if that makes sense. Like just not officially for the pitch. And so it was kind of perfect timing on his part to to tell me about it. And that was a very first business pitch competition our town had ever had. And Sylvia, you are the founder of the business pitch competition. I want to know like what sparked the idea because you you really, you've created so many amazing waves in our community and opened so many doors through this business pitch competition. So starting from the beginning, what kind of sparked the idea for you? Yeah. So, I mean, I think everybody's probably seen Shark Tank on TV and I'd seen it many times. I loved watching it, loved seeing the different ideas that people had pitched. And it was something that I always wanted to do. And actually when I applied to be the economic development director for the county. That was one of the ideas I pitched to them was like, hey, I want to start a pitch competition sometime. The problem was finding the funding to go with it. Um, But, you know, after five years, there was actually an opportunity where we we had the flexibility we needed with funds that came in that we could we could put it together. And so that was so exciting for me um, to actually make an idea that, you know, I had a applied for a position with, I could actually put it into action. So 
that that's is kind of how it's so said. exciting. Yeah. I didn't realize it was a five year like seed that had been waiting that you like planted five years ago and then you got to water it and bring it to life and help it grow to what it is today. So when you uh, when you were reviewing applications, like tell me what what kind of things are you looking for in the entries that people enter? Yeah, I think, you know, when we put that idea out there, we're like, how many people are actually get, going to apply for this? Like we wanted we wanted a lot of ideas, but but it was kind of one of those things like you don't know what's going to come in until you actually do it. And so one of the exciting things I think we had almost we had around 30 applications that first year is just looking through and and seeing ideas that you could tell people had thought about for a long time. And they had actually done some research into and and they had some numbers in place and and they just needed that little extra bit of help to make it happen. I mean, a lot of times people think, hey, just go out and get a grant and start a business. But but what people don't realize is there's not just grants out there for startup businesses like nobody else is going to take that risk on for you. And so it it's being able to take that risk upon yourself or or having a program like a pitch competition that can can actually get you over that initial edge that can make it happen and so so there's not a lot of grants out there but I mean just seeing that people can actually put things in place if if they have five or ten thousand dollars it was really amazing so that's amazing yeah like you said that's so great that can be kind of the tipping point that the catalyst yeah to help them be able to make that next move um so when people apply for this not everyone gets to go on stage to pitch right tell me about that yeah, so we actually let all applicants, all 30 applicants, do like an initial pitch. And so we had a panel of judges that, that I, the first time I spent two days in a room listening to people pitch. Um, and and when, we, when we put this panel together, we wanted people that would really give some good feedback to these individuals because it was really hard for people to swallow. I only have three minutes to pitch my business. Like some people still came in and were like, really, do I only have three minutes? And, and would try to go on for five or 10, but three minutes was the max. If you can't pitch your business in three, but three, three minutes, you don't have it down pat. So, so that was really interesting. Um, and, and just seeing what the people brought in, we didn't allow any like visual like as far as like electronic visual aids, it had to be like paper or something you could bring in because we wanted it to just go really fast. And so just seeing the ideas that people would come up with was was really amazing. It sounds like you got a wide range and it's fun to hear like what people in our community come up with, right? Yes. Probably ideas that maybe you hadn't even thought of or they're, again, they're kind of like, Trisha, you're finding a niche that it is not filled in this community and people are seeing those windows and trying to open them. Right. And I'd have to add to that, like, um, we, we started an innovation hub, a co-working space in the community. And really the idea behind that was we wanted to find the entrepreneurs in our community. Like we knew they had to be out there, whether they were in their basement, like in their truck, like we wanted to find them and we wanted to bring them out and get these ideas rolling. Like our main street had been super empty for several years. I mean, we even did projects where we washed the windows, we printed out big posters of what the community looked like a hundred years ago and put them in those windows just so it didn't look empty. And so we wanted to pull these people out and give them the opportunity to have their business and make our downtown and Main Street more vibrant. So we we just wanted to find ways to bring these people out of like out of hiding. Yeah, they <laughs> or were hiding of... from us and we didn't know how to reach them. <laughs> yeah, well, you've been such a champion of 
of supporting small businesses and supporting new businesses and, and local businesses. And that makes such a difference. You can tell in the towns that, that there's a strong local business presence versus maybe the towns that it's all commercial chains or things like that. Right. It seems like that's kind of what brings that special flavor to your town is what are the locals creating? What are the locals offering? Um, so kind of get us up to speed, Sylvia, on what do the winners get from this comp- competition? Yeah, I mean, I, I talked about the biggest thing that was holding us back from holding this competition earlier was like getting the funding to have the prizes in the end. You know, we wanted it to be at least $10,000 for the grand prize. And we were able to achieve that plus more, you know, with local um, sponsors. So I believe the first prize winner gets around $12,000 in cash. And then they also get um, internet connection from our local telecommunications provider, Strata. And then our technical college offers a scholarship, um, Utah State University, UNA Basin. They also put money in for scholarships. Our local media, V6 Media, provides media credits. And so does, you know, some other media in the in the community. And so it was, I mean, bringing on those partners was was an easy part once we could show them what we were offering. And then with their additions, it just made it that much more, you know, it made it ma- that much better. Like people were super excited. They couldn't believe in a small town like ours that we could have a pitch competition that offered. It that created quite great, a buzz. Uh, yeah, it was. Uh, and you opened the the pitching to the public. So quite a few community members came in to see what was being pitched. And it kind of sparked um, several others to think about the following year. Of, okay, well, what can I pitch? And yeah, yeah, you just opened the door for all this possibility and hope that their business idea could be supported and could be believed in, really. Yeah. What do you feel like is the most exciting part of creating this competition for you? I think the most exciting part, like you've said, is like seeing the ideas that people have. I mean, traditionally in our community, we're, our, our bread and butter is the oil and gas industry. And people just always thought about that. And they didn't realize how many other talents we have within our community. So so it really brought out this this idea that, hey, we have a, a lot of talented people here. We have a lot of different industries that we can take advantage of. We have a lot of talent and we can diversify a lot easier than what people think. They're always begging the community officials, hey, we want to diversify our economy, but we can do it in small and simple steps and we have the people here that can do it. So that was super exciting. I love that you're diversifying it from the inside out too, yeah. that it's it's homegrown, it's locally grown rather than bringing in outside support or outside um, industry, you are creating this, you know, fertile ground for local industry to succeed. And it makes sense because the locals here, they know the demographic, they know what people are looking for, what's missing. And I think they have an advantage with that viewpoint. Yeah. I mean, you, if you think of it from an economic development perspective, if you were to put $20,000 into practice, like this competition has done more good than spending $20,000 trying to recruit a new business to the area. Like the return on investment on that has been huge. It's a lot higher. Yeah. That's amazing. What advice would you give to someone who's about to start a, a similar competition? I think the the most important part that we did is we looked at other competitions that happened around the state, no matter if they were like a Silicon Slopes competition or one in a larger area, we used their ideas. We used like 
their application process and tailored it to fit our needs. And then, you know, picking judges that can really give some good feedback and help people. I think those are the two most important parts. Yeah, you brought in kind of a range of judges. Tell me about kind of what you were looking for or what you look for in that panel. Yeah, the the panel, we wanted it to be people that would look at every individual without knowing their background. And so we didn't want a lot of local judges, but we also realized how important it is to have one or two local judges. We wanted people that could give good feedback and people that had a good understanding of business. So um, just looked at different partners we had around the state, different partners we had in our um, partnering communities, in our in our counties that are next to us, and just um, asked those individuals to come help us. And it's amazing the kind of people and the quality of people you can get, and they come for free. They don't even want anything in return, but they love helping new businesses succeed. They've been in that spot at the beginning, and they know yeah. they know what a rough road. And, and I think we should highlight you as a judge, Becca. Like oh. You were one of the most amazing oh, preliminary you. judges in giving feedback to, to those businesses. You gave some great advice, and I think— you know, having preliminary judges that can do that makes for a better final competition because people really took that advice to heart and they spent the next week working really hard and you could tell the difference between their preliminary pitch, pitch to the final pitch. Sure. It was amazing. Sure. Oh, that's great. That's yeah. the goal, right, is to help them improve and help them get that the strongest pitch possible. Yeah. So that kind of takes us back to, um, Trisha, your business pitch. It wasn't just macarons that you pitched you pitched something a lot broader which right. was so wise so tell us about that <laughs> um as I was thinking of my macarons I I couldn't help thinking of other like local people who were in the similar situation that were running businesses out of their home um I knew a local soap maker I knew a local um person that does charcuterie boards. I knew a local person that did crochet and all these people, it's the same thing. They're, they're selling their stuff on social media or they're on Etsy or they're on these other, um, online marketplaces, but they didn't really have a place like locally. Right. And then they were all running into the same situation I was running into where when you're selling something out of your home, you're kind of at the mercy of your customers. Like if you say, okay, today's cookie pickup day, between the hours of 12 and 2, you always have people who are showing up at 5 or 6 o'clock at night or that don't show up. And so you kind of – you run into some of these problems. And so I was thinking about these other small businesses and I thought, you know, it would be really cool to offer a space not just for myself and for what I'm doing but for others who are in a similar situation as me. That's amazing. We have so many local – local vendors here mm -hmm. or local entrepreneurs, like mm -hmm. you said, and the fact that you were able to help rally and create a platform to support them as well yep. um, was amazing. Did When you were pitching, did you ever dream you would win? Did it was this seem like a realistic thing or um, was this kind of like a throw your hat in the ringer and see what happens? Kind of throw my hat in the ring. Like the, I think preliminary, like I felt really good about my preliminary. I got really good feedback. But then there was this point between the preliminary and the final where, like, I almost backed out. I almost, like, 
pulled my entry because I was scared of what would happen if I did win. <laughs> so I think that like I, I had some confidence there that it was a good pitch and that kind of created a little bit of fear like, oh, no, <laughs> like I know that this could probably win. Um, but I don't know that I knew for sure that. Yeah. You know, and look, it's justifiable. It right. is so much it's work, a lot of work to commit to starting something new. So when you did win and you did start something new, you tell us about your store location, um, why you chose it, where where it is. Yeah. So I um, like I kind of mentioned earlier, I love Vernal. Like I love this town and I love that there's a historical aspect of it. I love that it's a small community. Um and when I was thinking of my store, like Market on Main, I wanted it to be associated with like this this town, like this main street. And so I I knew like just from the beginning that I wanted it to be downtown on Main Street. And that's we found the place. So it was kind of perfect. That is perfect. What what advice would you give to someone else who's about to start their own brick and mortar store for the first time? Um, I would say talk to other store owners. I think that was one of the biggest benefits that I had was that I, I just talked to other people who ran stores and asked for advice. Um, you I did your research. Yeah. Yeah. I remember I even called out to a couple of places that weren't even local to Vernal and just asked a lot of questions about how they did things, how they kept track of things. And I think that that was that that knowledge that I gained from those conversations was essential for me to be able to have a functioning business. I'm curious, have you seen any patterns as far as the swings of re retail or now that you've run a brick and mortar yeah, for a little bit? Yeah, I, I, I tell people actually because people ask me, I'm like, don't be scared of January and February because they're scary. Because <laughs> you have the holidays that are great and you have a lot of people who are doing their holiday shopping. And then you have people who have credit card fatigue, you know, in January and February and it's really slow. And so like I tell people all the time, I'm like, there's ebbs and flows, there's cycles in retail, and, and just you got to ride it. You just have to be, just know what to expect. It's not always going to be super high sales all the time. Sure, sure, yeah. to be able to weather mm -hmm. weather those waves. Um, and you have a couple really big weekends, right, throughout the year. Um, tell me, like, what is the role of, like, local events that you've noticed? How has that impacted your store or your sales? Oh, my goodness. Um the two that I can think of, Dinosaur Days and Holly Days, they shut down Main Street and the entire community, it seems like, floods downtown. And we've been open on those days. And just to have the, the foot traffic in our store, but just the conversations with people, building of the community in the store, it's it's been like, um, I know the word, crucial to us as a business to be able to form those relationships with the community. Um, we get tons of new vendors from people coming in the store during those events and wanting to be part of it. So we we need those events. <laughs> That's yeah, amazing. They're super Which important. I think is amazing that you stayed open during those events. I think that was one of the hardest things that we had is 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 telling these stores downtown, like, hey, stay open during these events. But they were always worried that everybody would just be there to use their bathroom and they didn't realize the benefit that would come yeah. in weeks later, yeah. you know, you yeah. don't necessarily see it that night, but right. in the weeks to come, like yeah. you said, you get new vendors and, and all those people. So I think that's amazing. Yeah, that's kind of been a struggle his, historically, right, with some of our stores staying open past five, if that's fair to say, or if that's right. okay right. to bring up. Can you tell us a little bit about, 
about that, Sylvia. Yeah, from I mean, it's always been, been a struggle. And so I think that's one of the things we wanted to see as well is like, how do we incentivize somebody to stay open later and take advantage of that opportunity? Like, yes, we want, you know, to support these events downtown and, and it support the travel and tourism group and hosting these events. But but how can we get over that hurdle? How can we encourage new businesses to open up that will show these businesses that have been there a long time that there really is a benefit to doing that That's and creating that atmosphere? So Definitely. What percentage would you say your sales are on, on a weekend like Dinosaur Days? Oh, goodness. Um, hmm. I would say we triple or quadruple our sales wow. in a day just from having open an extra three hours, an extra four hours. So, I mean, we, we literally, for dinosaur days, we had between 50 and 60 people in the store shopping up until 10 o'clock at night. And it's the same thing with holidays. It's the same thing. We, we offer during holidays, we would offer like free hot cocoa, free, you know, apple cider because it's cold outside, but people would just stick around and they wanted to, they wanted to see what we had. So it was, like I said, it was probably one of the most important things that we've done over the years that we've been open. That's fantastic. Yeah. That's that's really amazing that a community event can mm-hmm. have that much impact on a local business. Um, Sylvia, how have you seen the store market I mean, like make a ripple effect within our local economy? I, I just think it's important how she's brought so many local vendors into one building. I mean, a lot of them wanted to take that next, next step, but doing it alone, I don't think it would have had the success as doing it all together. And I think it gave people like the confidence they needed to actually make it happen. And so I think we've seen a a lot of local people be able to put their product out there and make money and and be successful because of the market on Main. That's been amazing. That's huge. Is there any success story that comes to mind, Trisha, of any vendors that started at your store and then were able to grow onto something bigger because of that yeah. Launching point. Um, the one I can think of right now is um, Crocodile is a local um, business run by Jenny Franson, and she does artisan sauerkraut. And she had been selling at farmers markets for a few years before this, um, but she ran into a roadblock that she couldn't sell past farmers markets without having a commercial kitchen that she could produce her food or her kraut in. And so she's been with us for two years. She's now in several counties, several grocery stores. She's grown her business. And so I look at her and I'm so excited for her because I see that that was the vision, right? That these, it's like an incubator for these small businesses to be able to grow. And it takes the pressure off of trying to find a storefront for themselves because they can join into our storefront. But then it gives them an opportunity to get themselves out there into other places. That's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that cottage foods and the commercial kitchen, it it was a big hurdle in our community. And we saw that with the innovation hub. You know, we put the innovation hub in place. And I think phase two was like, hey, we need to get a commercial kitchen. But by having the pitch competition and Trisha opening her store, it solved that problem really quickly with with public funds not having to go that far. So perfect. Yeah. Perfect. Thank you on many levels then, Trisha. <laughs> Trisha, what has worked the way you thought and what hasn't worked the way you thought? Um, I think that my vision was to have a lot of local vendors in there. And we started with 16. And I think as of today, there are 60, 60, 60. So that went not the way I thought. <laughs> so so it's, you wanted 16 and you now have 60. Yes. Um, wow. I think too, like... Um. Yeah, I don't know. It, it grew bigger than I thought it would be. Does that make sense? Yeah. So I, I never, I don't think I ever imagined it would 
have been that big of a success. And I just see too, like, as you grow a business, like you have to be open to change and you have to be open to things being different than you thought they were going to be. And also like saying, oh, this didn't work out the way I thought it was going to. So now I'm going to shift and I'm going to. And so I, I think too, for me, that was the biggest lesson that I've learned is to be flexible and to be able to, you know, draw boundaries sometimes and be like, oh, this is something I will do. This is something I won't do. And, um, yeah. Yeah. I feel like you could teach a whole master class. I know. I'm like, I could write a book. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, you should. Um, how do you feel like this business journey changed you? I feel like it gave me a lot of confidence to go for things that I believe in and to, to voice my, my thoughts, my hopes, my dreams, and, to just act on it because I think that's the biggest thing. I think a lot of times we have these ideas as, as people, you know, and we're too scared to act on it. Cause what if, what if it fails? What if it doesn't work out the way I want it to? And I, I feel like I've learned to have the confidence to just go for it. And I think that that's kind of spilling into lots of areas of my life. Um, and that's been pretty amazing to see. That's so beautiful. Yeah. What uh, you have kind of some exciting news, right? And kind of the dream that most entrepreneurs set out to hit. Yeah. Yeah. Can you tell us about that? Yeah. So um, recently I've been kind of feeling a pull in a different direction. Um, My background has been as a teacher and I've felt the pull to go back to teaching. And I've been able to find some terrific people that believe in the vision of the market. And I was able to sell the market and I'm able to move on to another part of my life, but they're able to take the market and they have huge dreams for it and they have such a vision for it and a love for it. And they're even in the first little while, I can just see them growing it something even better, bigger and better. So congratulations. That's congratulations. To build something so viable and so successful that someone else believes in it. They want to buy it and grow what you started. It's pretty spectacular. It's awesome. That's amazing. Sylvia, how have you seen these small businesses make a difference in in a small town like ours? I mean, I think you can just see the difference in downtown. We have more people downtown. We're we're able to have events downtown and have the support we need down there. Um, The storefronts aren't empty anymore. There's lots of businesses downtown. And I think that was the biggest goal from the pitch competition and from the Innovation Hub is we wanted to see our downtown be more vibrant and be more used and more people walking around. And you did it. Yeah. It is. Congratulations. That's so, such a gift, I think, for our entire community. So thank you for doing that. Thank you so much for being on this, you guys, and sharing your story. We can't wait to hear more. And um, thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks, Becca. This show is produced by Summer Creative Agency and V6 Media. This podcast is sponsored by Vernal City, Strata Networks, Uinta County Tourism and Events, and Uinta County Economic Development. Thank you to the Utah Governor's Office of Economic Opportunity for administering the Rural County Grant Program that provided funding for the pitch competition. Check out our show notes and website, smalltowncomeback.org, for documentaries and more content about these stories.